Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. is playing for the national title. It's too long and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? What's up Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from allsyracuse.com with episode 80 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online, Purple Banana, and Hoffman Sausage Company. In this episode, we break down the Orange's first loss of the season, a 31-14 defeat to Clemson and look ahead to what it means not only for this weekend's matchup at number 14 North Carolina, but also the rest of the season. Let's welcome in Josh Crawford, Griffin Delapena, and Sidney Souple. Football is back, and Bet Online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with Bet Online's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From Week 1 all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, BetOnline gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Well, unfortunately, we are no longer talking about an undefeated Syracuse football team. We are now talking about a 4-1 and Syracuse squad after they lost 31 to 14 to Clemson on Saturday in the ACC opener inside the JMA Wireless Dome. All three of my co hosts, Sydney Griffin and Josh, were in attendance at the game in various capacities. Josh is a fan. Sydney and Griffin were hard at work doing various things for various outlets, as they always are. And I watched on television, and we all got to experience whatever that was. Um, I, I guess we'll just start with. You know, there were a lot of mistakes in the game by Syracuse. Uh, there were dropped passes. There was the Garrett Schrader fumble on the opening possession. Two possessions later, the pitch that wasn't the greatest pitch, but still hit LaQuint Allen in the hands, and he dropped it for another turnover. The fourth quarter interception by Garrett Schrader, multiple dropped interceptions by the defense, so on and so forth. So my question is is pretty basic. I think most people came away going, yep, that's what Clemson does to you. But at the same time, I did see some commentary that said, as much as Clemson won the game, Syracuse gave it away. So where do you fall on that side of things? How much of it was Clemson winning the game and how much of it was Syracuse handing it over to Clemson on the silver platter? Josh, we'll start with you. Um. If you had to put a percentage on it, like it, it definitely is a little bit of both. Obviously, Clemson isn't a team that's, you know, established the the program that they are and the, the repertoire that they have for a reason. Yeah, but they've been good for the last decade I, or I just, so. Not too bad. No, nah, exactly. And th- this being a down year for them, this was a situation where I don't want to say we came in with too much with too much uh confidence or being overconfident, but the way that things played out on the field, it looked like a team that felt like they were um the, the the big dog, the team that coming in uh, favorite for the first time in a long time, like you said, with the mistakes. 
So Clemson, the things that they were good at, they were perpetually good at. You're having a great front seven. You get you get five seconds straighter. You know, Will Shipley, a guy that put up 172 yards last year, regardless of the output he had, they still were committed to that run game in the same way they were last year. And my father just happened to be one the one that kind of popped up a little bit, especially with the late touchdown. But the turnovers, the penalties, a lot of the things that we talked about last week in terms of things that need to be kept under wraps in order to pull off an upset win for us, just not of not of by analytics speaking by ESPN numbers, but just perception wise, we uh, we fell flat on our face. So I'm not gonna blame, I'm not gonna say Clemson was um took like I said, really took onus of it. Tate Kubnick probably was the only way that they um I guess they they came up to standard the way that he's performed better than the way he's ever you know this season. But we definitely shot ourselves in the foot a lot more than Clemson beat us. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It, it's funny because you know I did um, some radio interviews and um, television show and everything else uh, throughout the week, and and I was asked the same question multiple times, which is you know what is the key to the game for Syracuse to to win and to beat Clemson for the first time in five or six tries, whatever it was. Um, and I said two things. One, the battle at the line of scrimmage. I think I thought Syracuse had to not necessarily win that battle or dominate that battle, but they had to be competitive in that battle. And then they had to win the turnover battle. That was a huge part of it. Clemson had been turnover prone and they gave Syracuse opportunities to force three or four turnovers and they just didn't take advantage of them. And it's hard to beat a team that's as talented as Clemson is when you don't take advantage of those opportunities. And so both of those keys went heavily in Clemson's favor. Uh, Clemson, I think, was plus three, plus two or plus three in the turnover battle. And they completely dominated the line of scrimmage, especially their defensive front against Syracuse's offensive line. And so, you know, that that was a big part in how the game played out. So uh, good point from you, Josh. Uh, Griffin, we'll go to you. Your thoughts on how much of it was Clemson winning versus Syracuse giving it away. Want to eat healthy like Syracuse football players? Then you want Purple Banana. Located on Marshall Street next to Varsity Pizza, Purple Banana is known for its acai bowls, but offers many more bases than just acai with over 25 toppings to choose from. They also offer smoothies, cold-pressed juices, oatmeal, and salad. Everything is made from fresh ingredients daily and is colorful, healthy, and delicious. The vast majority of the shop is gluten-free, vegan, and dairy-free with options for all health-specific needs. Purple Banana is your go-to shop for healthy, delicious options that will have you feeling like a Syracuse Orange athlete. Visit purplebanana315.com or purplebanana315 on Instagram for more. From now until the end of football season, participate in the Smoothie Showdown at Purple Banana to support Syracuse players and their charities. Caleb Okachuku, Justin Barron, and Marlo Wax have each created a signature smoothie. One dollar from the purchase of each of their signature smoothies will go to the charity of the player's choice. The athlete who sells the most smoothies will earn an extra $1,000 for his charity, with an extra $200 going to the other player's charities as well. Yeah, I think all the credit in the world to Clemson. I think that was obviously their best game that they've played so far this season, and everybody post-game, regardless if it was Coach Babers or any of the other guys, they said that that was a different team than what they've seen on film. And you should have probably expected that a little bit, a hungry Clemson team with a whole lot to prove. But I think uh, it, it really boiled down to a lot of the points that both of you have already made is the points off turnovers. You can't give a team like Clemson any extra juice or added motivation, especially right on the opening drive. Um, if you remember last week, I said I thought whoever came out and had that opening punch in the fight could really gain momentum quickly and then run with it. And I think Garrett 
with that fumble uh, did the opposite of what you would have wanted if you're Syracuse to have then back-to-back drives that ended in turnovers and automatic points for Clemson. So I think putting yourself down in a 14-0 hole against anybody is not really great or ideal, but when it's a team like Clemson, that makes things much more difficult for you. And the defense really held their own. I'm actually very impressed overall with uh, the defensive play. I think obviously third down, uh, stops were hard to come by in the first half, and then the penalties are something that you know we can continue to say at nauseum that need to be cleaned up. But overall, I was happy on the defensive side, trying to bottle up Clemson. They did what they could. Uh, offensively, there are a lot more question marks than I think we were maybe anticipating from this team. So uh, I think it really did boil down to not that Clemson was such a great team and played a great game, because they did, but I think that Syracuse beat themselves in a lot of different ways. Yeah, to your point about the defense, you know, Clemson scored four touchdowns. Um, Three of their touchdowns were on Syracuse turnovers, and one of them was on the missed 57-yard field goal that gave Clemson excellent field position. So Clemson only had one drive all game where they basically went the length of the field mano a mano against Syracuse's defense without help from the Syracuse offense putting the defense in a bad position. And you know, that I think is encouraging from a standpoint of, of analyzing how the defense performed. Um, Clemson averaged, I think, six plus yards per carry last year in, in the matchup. They averaged less than four this year. And I thought uh, the defense was actually really good against the run for most of the game. And they had 13 tackles for loss and three sacks in this game. And they are a couple of drops away from maybe putting up seven or 14 points on the scoreboard themselves. You know, not only did they drop interceptions, but two of those looked like they they had a good shot at going for pick sixes. So I, I think overall, yeah, you'd rather have the interceptions and drop them, but overall you feel still feel pretty good about where the defense is. And to your point about the start, Syracuse was moving the ball. You know, it was, it was only a couple plays. I don't know, three plays or whatever it was, but, you know, they had a nice run from LaQuinn Allen. They had the, the nice scramble from Garrett Schrader that got into Clemson territory. And then he gets popped and the ball comes out. Um, if if he's able to hang on to that ball, they're in Clemson territory, you know, somewhere around the 45 or the 40-yard line. They've got all the momentum early, and you wonder if they're able to score on that. How much does Clemson go, here we go again, um, you know, with, with some of the issues that they had had leading up to this game. So, yeah, all of your points uh, dead on, I think. Now we're going to go to Sydney. The lone person who predicted that Syracuse would win this game going into the season. And what I think happened is she underestimated her own power. (laughs) And so by predicting the Syracuse win, they felt confident, so confident going in that maybe a little bit cocky because of the power of Sydney's prediction, perhaps was a a little backfired there. But regardless, um, your thoughts on how this game played out. You were there in person and, uh, you know, how much it was Clemson winning it versus Syracuse giving it away. I mean, hopefully I wasn't the one to jinx him because I really believe you, you brought up the points that I really wanted to touch on is I felt like Syracuse was just a few big plays away. And I think if, you know, they have some of those interceptions, that one pick six in particular, and then a few of those dropped balls, you know, I, and even if you were going to get into it later, but if that call against Schrader is called for targeting, I just think the momentum shifts and for me, coming into this game, it was all going to be about who started best because I feel like Clemson came in in a very fragile state where they were either going to get things going their way and they were going to get hungry and this, you know, wanting to prove to everybody that 
the rest of college football has already counted them out because they've lost two games. So I think if they were going to blow the punch, they're going to keep going because they finally got the momentum they've been searching for week after week. And they did great things against Florida State the weekend before. But I think it's the fact that they came out and they went 14-0 in the first nine minutes, which, mind you, the week before, Army took nine minutes for their first drive. So all of a sudden, you know, the speed of the game is hurrying up on Syracuse. And next thing, they're in this hole. And then, you know, we are opportunities offensively. You talked about the missed field goal. That's huge. But most importantly, they went three and out on three different times in the first half. I mean, that's just like unacceptable. And I thought the defense to everyone's what everyone's been saying did an incredible job for the fact of how long they were on the field and what little rest they had a lot of times offensively. And I think I was just surprised because I felt like a lot of these guys specifically, you know, Schrader and a few of the rest of them, they've played in this game. They understand the emotional toll going into it. And I just didn't feel like we played with a lot of um, expertise and experience in the moment, but you know, if they would have played their good Syracuse football, I think they would have had a shot, but I just don't think we saw the normal team we've been used to seeing these last few weeks. Yeah. And, and coach Babers after the game alluded to the fact that they've got a lot of young players in key positions and that he thought that, you know, perhaps they were a little nervous in the moment, you know, got them a, a little bit and that that will be, end up being a good experience for a lot of those players down the road and it shouldn't happen the next time. Um, but, you know, 75 to 80% of this game was pretty even. It was just when it came time to make those plays, Clemson made them and Syracuse didn't. And that happens in a lot of football games. But I think the encouraging thing, if you're looking at this program as a whole, and um, I had someone on my message board actually make this exact point, is that at what point, if you look at Syracuse football in the last couple of decades, have you been able to say Syracuse went against the big dog in their conference and the only reason or the main reason the other team won is because Syracuse handed it to them, not because the other team was just that much better and dominated Syracuse and it didn't matter what Syracuse did. And I think that's a sign of progress. So there's still a, obviously a lot of room to grow and a lot of things to continue to improve on. But I think if you're looking at the football program overall, they were far more competitive, um, far less outmatched in this game than um, basically anytime they've, they played Clemson over the last decade or so. Um, the talent gap, I think, was a lot less than what it had been. So that's encouraging. But what I want to get, I do actually want to skip ahead. We were going to talk about this later, but we've all mentioned it. So we'll get to it now, which is the targeting call on the Garrett Schrader fumble. Um, when I saw the play initially and they threw the flag for targeting, I said, oh, that's easy targeting. That's 15 yards. Syracuse is going to keep the ball. They reviewed it. They overturned it. Um, I don't know what replays they showed in the stadium, but what they showed on television, it was real fast. You didn't really have – normally they slow it down, they give you multiple angles, and they talk about it for you know a minute to a minute and a half, and then the official comes out and gives you the ruling. They didn't really do that. They showed you a real quick replay, went to commercial, came back and said, oh, they overturned it, showed you another real quick, quick replay, and then just moved on. So we didn't get to see it a ton. I've since re-watched it and seen – um, you know, still photos of certain things and whatever else. So we'll go around the room and, and just, you know, real quick, if you thought it should have been targeting or not, we'll start, we'll go right back to you, Sydney. It's tailgating season and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun lang chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, 
when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells. Hoffman is a proud sponsor of Syracuse University Athletics. I thought it should have been targeting. And I went back and watched it on Twitter. And, you know, while I think there wasn't anything intentional in it necessarily, because I felt like it was a profile tackle, he's coming in on the side. But the more I slowed it down, it really felt like the crown of his helmet was able to hit up underneath Schrader's, which then like snapped his head back in surprise, obviously from his angle, Schrader didn't even see him coming. But I think that's a part of our game that we have to be better at protecting. The sport is already very physical. And if you can't protect when it comes to head, head to head, helmet to helmet contact, I think that's where they need to get better. And in my opinion, I felt like it was targeting. Josh, your thoughts. Um, you know me, Mike, I how I feel about refereeing and officiating and that stuff balancing out and you know, not letting allowing that to be um an excuse or a reason for determining games. Sure, that refs suck. I mean, yes, and we and we clearly <laughs> have established um thoroughly on this show. That being said, like, yeah, that's a big miss in terms of a the things that they the criteria has, you know, change of position. You that that type of mistake is, you know, just a lot more crucial to get right mm-hmm. in terms of officiating. And obviously with the fumble, that overturns that. You know, giving up points, another thing I say. And just with the field position that Clemson got from that targeting call, obviously, basically just giving them three or a seven, which they, they end up getting. And for me, is um, I don't know, just goes in kind of a, a little bit of the profile of straight as a running quarterback. We talk about how just quarterbacks have led, you know, college football in general with the Pac-12. But even in the uh, in the ACC, like a guy like Ryland Leonard taking that hit, they're calling the targeting. They're calling targeting. A guy like Kay Cubman, they're calling targeting. A guy like Jordan Travis, they're calling targeting. So I know that we're supposed to be seen as like a mid-tier ACC program and running is a big, you know, probably the biggest, most productive part of Schrader's game throughout his college career. But we can't allow that to like overshadow the fact that once he leaves that pocket, he still is a quarterback running versus a running back or a skill position. He still is. And I know Dabo Swinney said a little bit about him being defenseless and him throwing about how much he weighs and stuff like that. Fed, which really doesn't matter. He could be 5'6", 160, and he takes a, a hit on the chin like that and still targeting. But I think a lot of that, like, that's that's a really crucial miss and a really big time of the game. After, like we all said, it was going to be imperative for, the, for either team to win to get a good start. So, you know me, don't like to really hone in on officiating mistakes. I, like I said, I think those things kind of balance out. The human element of refereeing, that's kind of what we have in sports. But that's a really big miss and a really crucial time. And kind of set the tone, honestly, for what this Clinton defense could get away with. Yeah, I, I think it did not only for, you know, what Clemson could get away with or, you know, how the rest of the game was officiated, but just from a momentum standpoint, just completely changed the way that game felt at the start. Because, you know, the first few plays, it really felt like Syracuse was starting to click and they were confident and moving the ball. And then, boom, that happens. And it just felt like the air got sucked out of the building and just kind of completely changed the attitude from from both teams uh, that that was kind of how I viewed that play. But Griffin, um, your thoughts on whether or not it was targeting or not. Yeah, I think me and Josh see refereeing in a very similar light. Like I do think that all that stuff boils down, but it's more times than not so far this season that I feel like Syracuse really hasn't gotten their big break that they probably deserve at this point. Because like you just said, the crowd was rocking. It was buzzing in the dome, had goosebumps when everybody was running out. It was a loud crowd and Garrett gets out of the pocket and he's running and I think the the worst part about all of this is he even said post game, and what's frustrating for him is he was trying to slide. So he's been trying to implement that into his game and try to not always lower his shoulder and take the brunt of these hits. And when he does that, he's not even getting a call that is going to help him. And that's the whole point of 
trying to make this game safer is protecting the quarterback, not just when they're in the pocket for roughing the passer, but if they get hit underneath the chin, that 10 times out of 10 times should be getting called. And in that case scenario, I thought it was pretty point blank truthful right there in the moment. I think everybody realized that. And back to your point about on the broadcast, it was the same thing in the stadium. Very quick replay. It seemed cut and dry that that was going to be the case. And when they picked the flag back up, I think everybody in the press box kind of had the same thought of, whoa, like <laughs> where did that come from or what made them change their mind? Coach Babers also had uh, no clarification as to why that call got changed either. So, yeah, I definitely think that that was a pretty big call missed by the officials. I'll give the the other side of it because I saw a lot of people commenting on, oh, that's a clean hit, that's a clean hit. And I'll tell you why a lot of people thought that. It was because I think the initial thought when the hit was made was that the Clemson defender led with the crown of his helmet and hit Garrett Schrader kind of in the chest with the crown of his helmet. And that's what caused the big hit, where it was actually his shoulder that hit Garrett Schrader in the chest and kind of led to that big hit. But what those people I think are missing is the point that Sydney brought up uh, when we started this segment and you guys have each alluded to as well, which is the crown of his helmet hit Garrett Schrader's chin. And so if the crown of your helmet, even if you're not leading with it, is hitting a, a player regardless of position in the head, that should that's supposed to automatically be a targeting call. And so, yeah, it wasn't uh, helmet to helmet in that it was like, you know, the the crown of one's helmet against, you know, the middle part of, of the other helmet. But it was still the crown of the helmet hitting um, hitting the the chin of Garrett Schrader, which obviously you know played a big part in in why that fumble happened the way it did. So yeah, I I think it was targeting. I think it was a mistake to pick it up the way that they did, and um, you know obviously that that played a huge factor in how the game kind of went the rest of the way. And so unfortunate that Syracuse didn't get that call, but they certainly had. Um, a lot of opportunities after the fact to bounce back from that. And unfortunately for them, they they did not do that. Uh, but one of the other biggest parts of the game, I thought, was the play of Syracuse's offensive line. And not in a positive way from a Syracuse standpoint. The Clemson defensive front pretty much manhandled them for most of the game, especially when Syracuse dropped back to pass. I actually thought there were moments where from a run blocking standpoint, they, they opened up some holes for LeQuint Allen and there were a couple of drives where they had a couple of nice runs and then went away from it. And I thought they could have stayed with that to, to get deeper into Clemson territory and ended up having a couple of drives stall, but Garrett Schrader was on the run for most of the game. He was sacked five times, probably could have been sacked a few more, if not for, um, you know, some, some uh, escapes that he had with, from Clemson's pass rush. But they were – it wasn't like there were exotic blitz schemes and Syracuse just wasn't picking up the right guys or anything like that. A lot of it was just man-on-man, man and Clemson was just beating Syracuse. So the question is, I know Clemson's defensive front is unbelievably talented. They'll have multiple NFL guys from, from that group. How much of this was just you're just playing a team with multiple NFL guys and that's just part of the deal? Or how much is it the offensive line is a major weakness and it's going to be a huge concern going forward? Griffin, we'll go back to you. I think the Syracuse offensive line is a weakness, but you have to chalk that one up to just having freak athletes in the front seven for Clemson because throughout their first four weeks of the season, only having six sacks, that's not normal for a Clemson team defensively. Uh, and you go back to last season, it was a, a team high 
uh, in 2022 against Syracuse when they racked up five sacks against the Orange and same thing this week. So I do think obviously that plays a role with Clemson being a smaller uh, or excuse me, Syracuse being a smaller line against, you know, behemoths uh, of Clemson and having these freak athletes. And that's actually something that I asked Coach Babers after the game was, hey, what did you see different in comparison to film when they were actually on the field here today? And he said, there are guys that are freak athletes with projections to go to the NFL with big biceps and triceps. And and he kind of made it uh, a joking matter with me, which, you know, I did appreciate because at that point, that's all you can kind of do is just yeah, put your hands up. And, you know, that's kind of a part of the game in that point of view with the recruiting that Clemson can have in that area because they've turned out so much great defensive talent is you're going to have different teams have those strong points and you see that all across the country. So uh, I I really do think that it just boils down to those freak athletes on the Clemson D line being the difference. And it's going to be interesting because Syracuse plays a couple of other talented defensive fronts the next couple of weeks, both on the road in North Carolina, Florida state, Florida state, obviously being the better of those two, but um, you know, there, it doesn't get any easier. Uh, Josh, your thoughts on the offensive line and how they performed against Clemson and what what we can derive from that moving forward. Um, I think duality is a strong just thing that exists in our world and it, it exists here. Like it could be a thing to where, like like Griffin said, we knew about just the pure side difference in O line in our O line and their D line, but also just like the like like you said, the way that Clemson recruits and them really emphasizing the strength of that front seven. Like I said, both things can be true. Got like guys like Tyler Davis, Peter Woods, like a super freshman coming out of Alabama that, you know, for the most part last year with Miles Murphy, with KJ Henry, even uh, Brian Brise, who actually went from a DN type in high school to more of a deep interior guy in college, you had a lot more pressure coming from your traditional edge spots versus, you know, let's say Tyler Davis and Peter Woods being probably the two best D linemen from, from, from interior rushers. So it just didn't help when we have, like, the interior of our offensive line kind of being shuffled around, that being our most inconsistent part with Joe Moore being in and out the lineup, with Kalen Ellis coming to the lineup for the first time today, with, you know, John Marie being out a guy in a Josh Lowe that hadn't had a ton of snaps. So I think that, like I said, I think both things can be true. Clemson D-line is a D-line that we're not going to face just pure talent-wise the rest of the season. But we can't just throw our hands up and say that, Oh well, it was just Clemson, and we just kind of we can't go back to the drawing board and not really acknowledge anything that happens. We just saw a primetime game where Duke pushed around a, a Notre Dame offensive line that has a first round tackle. You never thought Duke, a Duke D line would push around a Notre Dame offensive line. UNC's defensive line is very much improved. You just talked about Florida State's D line with you know Fabian Levet and uh, Jared Verse and the things that they're they nasty. Do. So come on now, <laughs> nasty, nasty, nasty. It's Russell Sprouts. So, yes, both things can be true, and I think that they are in this case, but there, there does need to be more improvement on our, our offensive line in terms of pass pro because, A, that is probably the most the best way that Schrader gets out in his, in his open runs and you know creates that run that rushing production more on scrambles and getting outside of contain versus the, the design QB runs. And, B, like again, it's just not a thing to where – we want to have, you know, the entire spectrum of the playbook that had that Beck has, you know, you know, cooked up for Schrader. We can't allow, you know, one or two seconds in the pocket and the purely collapse. So I don't think that we're going to have a D-line as talented as Clemson's is. But with ACC play kicking up, we have to be able to, we have to have significant improvement, especially in the interior. You know, in, in the prep work that I did for this episode, 
the one thing that I did not count on was a vegetable reference in the middle of the episode. And Josh throws out Brussels sprouts in there. You know, I I think you and Dino should have like a quote off and you guys could each throw little um, analogies and metaphors in there and, and we'll have a, be good. a judges panel and vote on who had the better one for each. He's that, tried to that do me good. before. That he's was tried good. to do me before. He likes to go back and forth with me when he sees me. So <laughs> like, no, you, you hate I'm not surprised. No, I'm you, not, I mean, listen, it. you say, say what you want about Dino. I know there's, there's a, a, a faction of the fan base that is never going to support Dino and you know think Syracuse needs to move on and he's not a great head coach and all those things but say what you want about him he's he's about as personable and whatever else oh, yeah. it gets I mean he he really is and he uh he treats every member of the media student veteran you know professional everything else uh very respectfully and so that that is appreciated and I do think that's part of the job that um you know when when coaches are disrespectful, that obviously gets a lot of attention. But when they are very respectful um, on a consistent basis, I don't think that gets enough discussion. So vegetable reference aside, I'll make that note about about Dino. Sydney, your thoughts on the play of the offensive line? I think you muted, sis. Oh, rookie mistake. Thank you. Very Uh-oh. rookie mistake. That's okay. I, <laughs> I did that a few episodes ago, so all good. <laughs> No, I think I want to expand more on the second half of Josh's point. I mean, I agree. I think both can be true. And I think, you know, Clemson deserves their flowers in terms of the opposition groups that has always been very outstanding for them. But I think the fact of the matter is like Syracuse coming into it, knew Clemson's game. They knew where they had to be better. And and I feel like there should have been more of a focus there. And even in looking at Clemson's stats before this game, they only had two sacks versus Charleston Southern, two sacks versus Florida Atlantic. And they're averaging two and a quarter sacks a game, but they come in here and they absolutely double that versus us. When we know that's that's part of their game, they're an in-conference rival. We know what they're really good at. So while I think they're a freak of nature, like we've all mentioned and, and they deserve their praise there, if you're Syracuse, you have to be better prepared and you have to understand, I feel like, what the other teams did that was able to contain them enough and I just felt like, you know, maybe the eyes were there, but I just was surprised to see five happen. And I've like you, we've all been mentioning that's a huge part of Syracuse's game to be able to get the run game going between Schrader and, you know, Allen. And I feel like that really hurt them and in terms hurt the offense. So I feel like they needed to be better in that area. And it's something they need to really look at the film and, you know, whether it's technic- technicalities or just positioning that's adjustment they're going to have to make moving forward. And especially in these next two weekends. No question. And um, you know, it's the offensive line to Josh's point, but the, the fact that they were, you know, subbing guys in and out and Dino Babers mentioned after the game that some of his offensive linemen were getting tired going up against that Clemson front, which I can certainly understand going against those guys all game, you know, snap after snap can be, can be tiring, but um you know, you, you shouldn't have to be shuffling offensive linemen in and out. That's something that you reserve for your defensive line. Your offensive line should basically be your five, your best five guys and the continuity and the rhythm that they get in is part of what makes your offense go and the communication and everything else. If you're shuffling guys in and out, that impacts how you communicate with each other. And, and, you know, some of the things that you can do without having to verbalize something to sort of give each other a look and you, you understand um, you know, how you're changing protections or how you're sliding the offensive line for certain running plays because of the way that Clemson is lined up. Whereas when you're shuffling guys in and out, it's much more difficult to do that. And I think that puts Syracuse at a little bit of a disadvantage. But, um, you know, 
the fact that they've had guys out with injuries probably impacts their, um, you know, their conditioning a little bit as well. So there's a lot of things going on there with the Syracuse offensive line that they're going to have to try to fix move forward. There's no question about that. So with the Clemson game in the rearview mirror, let's look forward. And the bad news is it doesn't get any easier for Syracuse. Instead of playing Clemson at home, who was the team that a lot of people thought was going to win the conference going into the season. Now they get to play a top 15 team on the road who has perhaps the best quarterback in the country on their team, or at least one of the guys that's in that discussion at a minimum in North Carolina and Drake May. So Josh, we'll go to you. Your expectations for Syracuse for this game against North Carolina, and what are the keys if they're going to make it more competitive and and a game that you know they're in late into the fourth quarter? So you're talking about you know an upgrading QB play from K. Klubnik to Drake May. Let me turn my light. I can't see me. Um, obviously, K. Klubnik probably played just a little bit above his head, or at least better than he's played all season. But that level of play that you're going to get from Klubnik or from May is going to be basically like the bare minimum in terms of um what you're going to get from Drake May. The UNC's offense, or just them in general, haven't got off the, the greatest start. They haven't really been dominant in any of their wins. They started off their first game with South Carolina and conference play, so they have just a little bit of jump in terms of ACC games with two versus one for us. But the same way that, honestly, the formula for last year's Clemson win um, can be kind of a lot of similarities that we can you know put into this, this UNC game, and honestly, ways that, that we could have just – you know, um, enacted them a little bit more effectively. Could have got, you know, got, could have got us a win out of the Clemson game. Press on the quarterback. Um, Drake May, for all the things that he does do well, he's more, he's definitely more of a, um, a pocket passer, somebody that likes to operate, you know, in within the pocket, within chaos. Craig, he, he scrambled to throw, not scramble to run, as a lot of uh, QB coaches will say. So I think that with the with our three-man front, with a guy like Leon Lowry, Derek McDonald, some of our linebackers that really excel at pass rushing and not in the more traditional sideline to sideline type of ways, if we can create a pocket for them, if we can create, if we can collapse the pocket consistently, and we can create that pressure. I think that they'll that'll go a long way in terms of um you know forcing them to make some bad decisions. And with the way that Drake May likes to air the ball out, a la Oregon, Justin Herbert is kind of like very much boomer bust in terms of downfield throws. I think that he can be baited into a few more turnovers of bad plays than you would expect from a like a first round level quarterback. Um, and then again, kind of the same thing that we had last week in just in terms of turnovers, like I mean uh, penalties, I should say. We talked about the the, the penalties last year versus Clemson and how we went out uh, this last week versus Clemson. I think that the talent gap, at least on, on the offensive defensive lines, is not as big as it's going to be last week was for us versus Clemson. I listened to the Inside Carolina podcast uh, just for them recapping the first four weeks of this season and talking about where they're at and expectations going forward. And while the offensive line has been a lot better, um, they're still in the run game at least. There is still with a seen Richards leaving. There has been you know room to grow for that for that pass pro. So it's not a situation with um, like Clemson last week to where our biggest weakness is kind of their biggest strength, and they kind of cannot they can expect to dominate that matchup. I think that they, we can we can you know scheme wise with that three three five and personnel wise, they'll they'll we win those to take advantage of them you know on the on in the pass rush front. And for us, it's like I'll say this. And it's not as hard of a schedule as last year, just because, like I said, we've talked about it, you know, at nuance. We talked about ad nauseum, but we have to be able to respond better from that first conference loss than we did last year. I think everybody knows the, the what happened last year in terms of the, the sixth game loser streak and how we had that kind of guy downhill quickly. When you have so many returning guys, so many seniors and fifth year guys in your locker room, you know, this is where you you respond to adversity. This is where all the preseason talk and all the things that we talked about, even you know, throughout the, these first four weeks of the season, talking about 
you know, taking every opponent seriously, you know, going one to know every week. These are the weeks to where you will see that being enacted and see how true to the metal that thing is. Very tough Clemson loss. A lot of mistakes that, you know, could have been avoided, like we talked about, a game that really got away from us, that we gave away. You know, this is a new team. This is a new week. This is another opportunity to get, like, a prime time, you know, resume building win in the same way against Clemson. You know, you can be, you can argue that it's probably a better opportunity than Clemson just because they got that little number right by their name on the, on the book. So, like I said, Clemson and Clemson and that rivalry runs deep for us. But in terms of personnel matchup for us, and just also, like I said, that mindset with the team and the way that we should be able to come back from adversity and establish leadership within that locker room, I think that that'll, be, that'll go a long way in terms of us um, getting back on track, making this game competitive, and making a statement in the ACC. Yeah, two things that, that I want to um, you know expand on. You mentioned North Carolina and the you know uh, the quality of competition that they've they've played so far. Three of their four games, you know, they're four and zero undefeated. Three of their four games are were against Power Five teams: South Carolina, Minnesota, and Pittsburgh. The non-Power Five team that they played was Appalachian State, which you might as well consider a Power Five team. Essentially, that that's a really good program. And I think Appalachian State is better than anyone that Syracuse has faced this season outside of Clemson. Syracuse's entire non-conference schedule, Appalachian State's better than every one of them. Um, sorry, Purdue, but Appalachian State's better. So, you know, they, they've been battle-tested. Now, they've also been in, um, you know, Appalachian State was was a close game. That was a double overtime game. The, the rest of them, you know, they kind of controlled, but – you know, to Josh's point about, you know, their defense and the defensive line not being the same caliber and offensive line not being the same caliber. Uh, they have given up some some yards to teams. Uh, Minnesota does not have great offense. They had over 300 yards of offense against North Carolina. Uh, Pittsburgh does not have a great offense. They scored 24 points and had um, over 300 yards of, of offense. So I think there's opportunities for Syracuse here to show some improvement. And I don't even think you necessarily need to win these next two games to still feel good about where this team is going. I think you need to stay healthy and be competitive. If you get absolutely run out of the building against both of these teams, North Carolina, and Florida state, that's going to sour a lot of the fan base. And I think you're going to see that reflected in the attendance against Boston college, the, uh, you know, the, the following home game, even if they do win at Virginia tech, whereas if they're competitive in these two games, even if they lose both of them beat Virginia tech on the road, then I think some of those that are sort of on the fence, might start saying, okay, well, I know you didn't beat any of those teams in that three-game gauntlet, but you gave the game against Clemson away, and you were competitive on the road against two of the three best teams in the conference, perhaps the two best teams in the conference. So yeah, I feel pretty good about that. So I, I agree with you. I still I think there's an opportunity here, and I think there's some matchups that could be favorable. The other thing I wanted to point out is the difference between in this game versus the Florida State and Clemson game you play Florida State and Clemson every year. They know you. They know Dino Babers. They know the system. They know the personnel. They know the schemes, all that. North Carolina, you haven't had that. You haven't played North Carolina in, I don't know, two, three years, something like that. And and when you did, it was – they had completely – Syracuse had different coordinators. And they had different schemes. And that, I think, could be in Syracuse's favor here, even though North Carolina is on a bye, and so they've had an extra week to prepare. Griffin, your thoughts on this matchup and and what Syracuse um, should learn from the Clemson game and how they, you know, some of the keys to uh, being more competitive in this one. Yeah, I think overall with UNC, having that extra week to prepare is going to be huge for them. And in the sense of Drake May, he is 
without a doubt, a Heisman hopeful, a, a guy that's going to be a top five pick in this next year's draft. But he hasn't had that that surefire performance yet that everybody's waiting for him to have. And I think that is going to be a huge test for the Syracuse secondary to make sure that that happens at a later game down the season and not this week. So you look at his stats right now, and yes, he's he's played four games. So in comparison to Garrett Schrader, who has one more game than him, he has 1,187 passing yards. Schrader is 1,153. So they're relatively in the same ballpark. But you look at his touchdowns that he's thrown, he's only thrown five touchdowns and four interceptions, a solid QBR, but still not those sample sizes that you're expecting from a guy going into the season that could be winning the Heisman Trophy. So for Syracuse specifically, you know that they're going to want to air it out. Even in their last game against Pitt, wasn't a game that they were offensively dominant, even though it was a lopsided score against Pitt. They had under 400 yards, and it was a discrepancy between them and Pitt uh, that total yards of offense, UNC had 373 and Pitt had 304, but it was still the final score was 41-24. So that just goes to show that still they're competing in games when their quarterback is still not playing to that level that you're expecting him to play. Uh, So that will make things much more difficult for the secondary. UNC still has playmakers. But going back to what Josh touched upon, I think that this is going to be something that we're going to continue to talk about for the rest of the season. As I asked Caleb and Garrett postgame about what this means, having a loss against a team like Clemson, who's a top caliber ACC school, and how that could now help them for the rest of the season in preparation for this three-game trip. And I think both of them almost echoed the same aspect of We learned from last year how one game can just derail a whole lot of progress, and they want to make sure that that doesn't happen again. But I think the more crucial part about that is they already have that under their belt now. And like you said, Josh, with them being having some guys that are fifth years and have had that experience being a leader now in the program, they're trying to keep that morale high. And yes, they're still four and one. The morale should be high. But Now, some doubt could slip in going into this three-game trip, and especially against two ranked schools that seem to be the two premier teams in the conference, where you have to have a good mindset going into this. Because if you have any sort of doubt in your mind going in there to Chapel Hill, you can get exposed, and you can get exposed real quick. So I think the big thing for them this week, and that's something that I want to look towards on Tuesday, is just to see how the morale is in the building and see if they're going to be even-keeled. They're not getting too high, not getting too low to make sure that they're ready for this road trip. You know, some parallels between um, Syracuse and, you know, kind of the way they played against Clemson versus Pitt and the way they they kind of played against North Carolina. Pitt turned it over three times against North Carolina. That was a huge reason why there was there was a 41 to 24 final, even though the total yards offensively were, were pretty comparable. And North Carolina only averaged two yards a carry against Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh actually ran okay, averaged four yards per carry. But Pittsburgh sacked North Carolina five times. So I think there's an opportunity here for the Syracuse defensive front to get to get back. Uh, you know, they they sacked Clemson three times, and Clemson's offensive line so far this season has performed better than North Carolina's has. So I think if you're looking at this in terms of how Syracuse defends Drake May, especially when we saw Clemson go over the top of the Syracuse secondary a few times this past Saturday, it starts with pressuring Drake May. 
he can't throw the ball over the top and rack up tons of yards if he's on his back the whole time or running for his life. So that's where some of these pressure packages, um, you know, too often, I think against Clemson club, Nick had too much time, especially on third and long situations where he was, he was able to get some completions and extend drives. That's going to be one of the keys uh, for this one. In, in my opinion, um, Sydney, your thoughts on, on Syracuse, North Carolina and what Syracuse can learn from this game against Clemson. You know, I'm going to bring the hope back. Um, I really feel like Syracuse is going to come back, and hopefully I'm going to manifest this, but they're going to play like they have nothing to lose because now they don't. You know, I felt like there was this sense of a different feeling than the last two years when they played Clemson really tough because they were the underdogs. They were expected to lose, and it felt very different this year because, you know, they were picked technically by statistics, ESPN analytics, to win by, I think it was a touchdown, and it, it just felt like this all this pressure they were putting on themselves because now Clemson wasn't ranked. Now they had two losses and they didn't have that same respect and underdog mentality, even though they were trying to embrace it. I think all the numbers, it was really hard to do so. And so I feel like you're coming to UNC after, you know, you were just exposed where a lot of people are counting you out and I'm hoping that lights a fire, but I'm hoping that also just allows them to go out and play free and loose and like this team we've seen in the first few weeks in the glimpses of the offense when everything's clicking, you know, when we have the run game, but one thing that they're going to really need to focus on if they want everything to go right and, and to put up a fight, because I agree with what you said, uh, Mike, that it, even if they don't walk away with the win, I think if it's a competitive back and forth game, I think that's still momentum they can use in this season, but they need to really get things figured out just between trader and the receivers. I mean, if you were to look at the, the top receivers, from last week's game, you have tight end at number one and you're running back at number two. And don't get me wrong, LaQuinn Allen's a great athlete, but, you know, he's no Christian McCaffrey. Like, we need to have wide receivers who are in that one and two slot, and if he's at three and four, that's okay. But, I mean, the fact that, you know, there was dropped balls by the receivers, but also it just it felt like a lot of long balls that Schraders was throwing – Alfred and Brown, they were making the catches, but they had no chance to stay in bounds. So I felt like that was a very uncharacteristic um, thing that I saw from Schrader that I think is a one-time thing. And I really believe he'll get it cleaned up going into this week. And I just think we're going to see a different type of fight from this team being the underdog. Yeah. You know, your, your point about the receivers is, is a good one. They really struggled in this game, um, not only in terms of drops, but in terms of, there were a couple opportunities to stay in bounds. There were certainly several where Schrader, you know, didn't really give them much of a chance. But either way, the the connection there between Schrader and his receivers wasn't there, um, and that's certainly going to have to be better against North Carolina. There's there's no question about that. And to your to your other point, um, it was fantastic to see Dan Valari have a couple of really big catches early on. I thought the, the one of the biggest question marks for me in that game was the fact that they stopped throwing him the ball because he looked like someone that Clemson was going to have a hard time with. Now, Dino Baber said after the game that, you know, he had a little bit of an injury and they're hoping he's going to be okay. So perhaps that was part of it, but um, he's, he's someone that I'm, I'm looking to as, you know, someone who could be with a Ronde Gatson out and Isaiah Jones out someone that could, emerge here as someone they can utilize as a weapon. So I thought some encouraging signs from him, but the receivers as a whole, we saw it happen against, against Purdue where they had a bunch of drops and then, you know, didn't really have that issue against army, but we know the level of competition there. 
And then the comp level of competition steps up again and you have more drops and then you have issues getting separation and that leads to Garrett Schrader holding on to the ball and getting sacked and sort of all snowballs on you. I think going against North Carolina, one of the ways you can help out that passing attack is by establishing LaQuinn Allen as a runner. And if you can give him the ball more often, he only had 14 carries against Clemson, which I thought was too few, especially because early on in the game, he was, you know, breaking off some nice runs some six to eight to 10 yard runs. Um, I think if, if you're able to establish that you keep Drake may off the field, you keep your offense balanced and that puts North Carolina's defense back on its heels. And that gives you a chance to potentially pull off an upset. So let's go around the room and give our predictions for the score of this game. I'll give mine. I think North Carolina is going to win 31 to 20. That's my official prediction. Um, I hope I'm wrong, but, you know, I, I I went with the upset last week. But, you know, Syracuse's first conference road test, it's a top 15 team. I think North Carolina is just a better team overall. So I think it'll be a close game and one of those that's, you know, sort of floating between a one and two score game. But uh, North Carolina scores a touchdown late in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, sort of hovering around 24-20 and the Syracuse defense isn't able to get the critical stop that it needs. And North Carolina puts it away with a late score. Sydney, we'll go right back to you, your your official score prediction, because it almost sounds like you're going to pick Syracuse again. <laughs> I actually smiled when you said yours, because mine was pretty close. I okay. said 31-23. I really want to say Syracuse, but but I think it could be – I think it will be UNC, unfortunately. And, and I hope they prove me wrong, you know. I picked them last week. Maybe I have to not pick them, and then it will come true. So we'll see. <laughs> little reverse psychology. Yeah, I, I actually joke <laughs> – I joke with uh, friends of mine that the only chance the Eagles ever have to win a game is if early in the first quarter, I completely give up on them. That's the only <laughs> chance. And, and you know, that would never happen. So I do it every week, every week. I'm like, <laughs> now the Eagles are terrible. They're not even going to make the playoffs. I say it like every like second play of the game. I say it. it's stupid because I'm way too emotional watching them play. So Super I, suspicious. zero logic when, when I watch them play, it's just all craziness. Um, so similar score predictions, but I also think, if those, if it ends up being a similar score to that and the game is pretty competitive throughout and Syracuse comes out of it pretty healthy, I still think that that would be um, encouraging for what it means moving forward beyond that. Griffin, your uh, prediction for how this game is going to play out. Pretty similar to you guys. Uh, I'm going to say UNC wins 28-24, but a lot of positive signs in a rebound from last week offensively. I think that the offense – as a whole, will be a little bit more collaborative. And like you were mentioning, just establishing the run. That was one of the things that was very frustrating for me in the second quarter was when Garrett was trying to go uh, to the sidelines and air out that deep ball with the man coverage and trying to exploit their cover too. You don't need to do it every play though. Like for two straight drives, it was just consistently just airing it out. And, you know, you were having some success running the football. So I thought that they could have maybe uh, use LeQuint a little bit more efficiently there. But I will say I think that Syracuse overall, huge test, and if they can rise to the occasion and make this a one-score game, I think that could be a lot of positive momentum going into Florida State the next week. Josh, your thoughts? Um, I'll go, like I said, along the lines of, A, our offense looking a lot better this week, and then NUNC's defense not being that kind of, you know, stellar standout unit that Clemson that Clemson had. I'm gonna go with 34-28. I think that like one quarter, one touchdown a quarter for us. I think that's a pretty decent, you know, offensive pace and something that we can manage either, 
with Shredder's legs or, like you said, committing further to that run game with LaQuint. Um, but I just think that in terms of uh, offensive juice, UNC has a lot – just has, has, has more than – not a lot more, but definitely uh, advantage of the quarterback spot in a way that I don't think you're going to get just outgunned a lot with Shredder at the helm. But I think this is one of the few situations you will. And one thing that was a bit concerning for me is we've talked about, you know, this mob defense, you know, in general, especially the secondary unit. Jerry Wilson has kind of been a star, standout guy since he stepped on campus. Isaiah Johnson stepped in for G-Dub last year, you know, admirably. We already know about the, the, the safety play with Cinco and uh, Justin Barron. But nine for 143 for a guy in Troy Brown that's not wide receiver one or two on Clemson's depth chart is very concerning. Just to, A, like we mentioned, the time that Hudnick had to get outside the pocket and birth the baby a little bit in the, out in, in, on those half numbers and things like that. And just the separation that, were, that uh, Troy Brown was creating, either on man coverage with Isaiah and uh, Jerry or in zones like, especially when you give quarterbacks time, you know, being able to find those Boston zones, I, that was very concerning. And I think that, A, with the system that Matt, won, that Matt Brown runs with a lot of vertical shots, with a lot of deep downfield passes, I think, unfortunately, that'll open up more with um, a, a wide receiver unit that's just more used to running those type of routes on their route tree than um, than we would have with a lot of other teams. And, again, a guy in Drake May who is very boomer bust. And you don't get to be, a, a as Griffin says, a highly hopeful first-round quarterback with a lot of boom in your game. So I think that as much as we're going to be able to do to stop him, they will connect a, a bunch of those big plays. And, and football, chunk plays are the name of the game. And I think that UNC will just have a little bit more success with chunk plays and, and, and moving the ball up quickly, moving the ball into the end zone quicker than us. And I, like I said, 34-28, progress, which is, all, which, which, which is what we all want. But um, as Papa Scott says, there's no moral victories in football. And I don't think we'll come away with one this week either. All those score predictions were far too similar. So I'm going to change mine. 41 17 Syracuse blows him out at Maryland. There we go. There's your there's your uh, hot take for the day. Uh, nice. But th- that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Syracuse podcast. For Griffin, Josh, and Sydney, I'm Mike McAllister, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.